Well, have you had a good day? Have you had a good day? Yeah, give us a bit more energy. Has it been worth it at all so far? <laughs> good, 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 good. Let me uh, tell you about my dog. I, uh, we, we've got a beagle. It's, um, it's a great dog. took many years to get it. We, uh, we didn't want another thing in our house. We had um, lots of kids. We didn't want another child. And, um, and so we kind of, we had kids pressing for a long time to get the dog and they badgered us about it for many years. And they even, um, we, they, they kind of broke the back of it a little bit when they made a PowerPoint presentation one holidays on why they should have a dog. We, and they made their own vocal music track behind it singing about, we want a dog, we want a dog. And they made all kinds of promises about how they'd look after it and walk it and so on and so forth and feed it and clean up and whatever. Anyway, Kathy was uh, taking the kids out to get their teeth done or something, whatever mums do with kids. And um, she said... On the way home, we're just going to have a look at some puppies. We're not buying anything, I'm just going to look at some puppies. And what do you reckon happened? <laughs> that happened. I mean, how can you not? I mean, they, you know, I, mean I knew it was going to happen, right? They, they go and look at puppies. What do you do when you see that thing? And so they brought it home and we now have that dog and had it for 10 years and it pretty much rules the house. That's... Now, why do I tell you about that? No reason. I just try to find a reason to tell you about my dog. There we are. It's got a Facebook page, Odie Herd. You can look it up now, chase it through. Um, it's very good. Now, let me tell you about Reach Australia. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've uh, thought about this, but um, you think I'm joking, don't you? <laughs> Let's get rid of Odie. Um, oh, we might not be able to. We might have to stay there. There we go. Uh, it, we've had a whole day where you've experienced what's been going on here and it's kind of odd to go the whole day and do this thing before we actually stop and get clarity about what it is. We haven't actually talked a great deal about what Reach Australia is. We've just put it out there. You've gone through the program as it's happened. And there's something about who we are that shapes what's happened. It's a little bit, we wanted you to play with a puppy before we told you about the puppy. I mean, we, we, we wanted you to have a day with a group of brothers and sisters who are fighting in the trenches, wanting to work hard to see Jesus honoured, the church grow. I mean, it's, to hear Matt talk about what's happening in Adelaide, does that not stir your soul? It's just, it's worth gold to be together and to be pushed on like that. We want you to have the experience before we actually tell you what it is. And now's the time where we're going to tell you what it actually is. Um, you know, over the last 18 months, a number of us, I think it's 18 months, but it feels like a lot longer actually. But over the last 18 months, a number of us have been meeting together. We've been talking, praying and dreaming about uh, what could be, about what's going on, where we're at. And the thing that drew us together is the name. The name says it all, Reach Australia. The thing that drew us together is a, a real heart that we shared to see Australia one for Christ to actually see something happen, to make a difference. We didn't just want to talk about it, we didn't want to just put out something, we wanted to actually have things happen and a difference be made. Um, we came together because all of us were aware that we're a long way from achieving that end of reaching Australia. Al this morning gave an extraordinarily helpful rendition of the picture of what's going on in our country and it was deeply distressing, yes? I hope you were touched by it. Things are not great. There are opportunities, as Al drew attention to, there are glimmers in the midst of it all. Noting them is important. But I want to actually make things worse 
tonight for a moment. Uh, things are bad, but they're actually worse as well than what we even heard this morning. We've got pipeline issues. Our congregations are ageing, so that Al is the youngest in all of our services now. We've, we've got a real problem there. Um, but we're, we've got churches ageing with underperforming youth ministries. Now you think right back into that. Kids' ministries, youth ministries. Here's a statistic that's terrifying. 40% of the youth in our churches will walk away from the faith by the age of 30. 40% of kids who are already in church will walk away by the age of 30. There's a solid fact from NCLS data and other information. Our youth ministries are small and often struggling. Now, you roll that out into the future and we have got a big problem in 20 years' time. We've got a generational problem. Colleges, Bible colleges are fading. There are a few bright spots so that, um, you know, across the whole college network of ACT, I think numbers are going up, but largely because it's shifting into part-time, it's shifting away from the serious full-time uh, vocational preparation ministry activity. And, and there's a few bright spots, though, of the long-term serious kind of thing. You've got QTC that's growing, but, I mean, that's Gary Miller and everyone wants just to hear him make jokes and so they've, they've, all, they've all gone up there. But, it's, but it started from a very small base, but praise God, there's growth there. But some of our other colleges, our very serious colleges that have been... Um, not that QTC is not a serious college, but... Uh, um, <laughs> the, the, the serious colleges are actually uh, struggling. The, the, uh, the shift has gone into part-time as well. The long-term vocational ministry training is, is dropping. Uh, and that is a serious, serious concern. MTS is a mixed story. There are a few places, a few churches that are, ministries that are pushing further into raising up MTS workers, but across the board it's diminishing around the place, such that university ministries are now asking questions about what's going on because they're seeing it plateauing and begin to decline in many places. Can you see where that's going to take us in the next 10 years? Now, why it's so, we need to do some analysis, we need to think into it. It's, it's helpful to understand the issues so we can better target solutions, of course. But you, we need to own that there is a real issue out there. There is something going on in our ministries, particularly in Reformed Evangelical churches. But what we need to do is look to where we always ought to look. Where ought we look? in the midst of all of that. Where's the first place we should go? To our God. We need to go to Him in prayer, in repentance and faith. We want to start a new movement of prayer, which we want to keep doing through this time together, but we want to encourage and urge you and me and us to, to actually get on our knees and be serious about pleading with our God to make a difference to have mercy on this country. But that movement of prayer itself requires us to have a deep appreciation of the character of God that we go to in prayer. And that character, that understanding of the character of God needs to infect every one of us. This is really the starting point, seeing again who God is. 
We serve a God who is the God of miracles. Every one of us is testimony to that. He is the God who does His best work in the darkest times. Do you remember Isaiah 11? Turn it up, grab your Bibles, turn up to Isaiah 9. Oh, yeah, Isaiah 9, let's go back there. Isaiah 9 paints this uh, incredibly, well, chapter 8 paints a very dark picture, doesn't it, there? Look at verse uh, uh, 21, distressed, chapter 8, 21, distressed and hungry, they'll roam through the land. When they are famished, they'll become enraged and look upwards, will curse their king and their God. Then they'll look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom and they'll be thrust into outer, outer darkness. And here's one of the most beautiful words in the Bible. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun in the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honour Galilee by the nations, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of the deep darkness, a light has dawned. Nevertheless, darkness and gloom, looking everywhere for hope, none to be found. Nevertheless, a light dawns. Do you know the key thing about that light dawning is where it dawns from? It doesn't come from political powers. It doesn't come from institutions, it doesn't come from Israel, it comes from above. It's not from the earth or the powers, it's a light that comes from God. In the darkness, He brings the light, because He's the God of miracles. Now, of course, it's speaking of the coming of Jesus, but it speaks to of the nature of God, who is the God who makes light shine in darkness... He's the one who reaches into the world that is in gloom and darkness and distress and hope comes from Him, His character and His grace. You know, we, we can have hope in our time in the one who raises the dead. We can have hope in our time by putting our hope in the one who is committed to saving His world. You know, we heard a great deal about the resurrection this morning, quite rightly, as we work into the book of Acts. The book of Acts is known as the gospel of the resurrection. It's peppered all the way through it, isn't it? So that the qualification to be a, uh, an apostle is that you've seen the resurrection, that you're a witness to the resurrection. The first half, of course, is Peter's testament to the resurrection. But come with him to Acts chapter 2, there's some beautiful pieces of language through here that we had read for us, didn't we? Where Peter's first sermon is just a message about the glory of the resurrection. Look at verse 23. Um, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate pan and foreknowledge and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Look at verse 32. God raised this Jesus to life and we're witnesses of this. Verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. It's magnificent, isn't it? 
chapter 3, verse 15, chapter 4, verse 33, and so on through the, the book of Acts. The resurrection was at the centre of their witness and it empowered their witness. It gave them a message to proclaim, just simply that. Because the death of Jesus worked. The death of Jesus wasn't futile. It did secure forgiveness between sinful, rebellious humanity, between us and our God. The resurrection was God's stamp in time, in history, that the death of Jesus worked. That God received payment. And in the resurrection, death has been destroyed and him who holds the power of death has been destroyed. Jesus came to destroy the works of the evil one. And the resurrection declares the truth of that victory. It's not hard to see how powerful the resurrection was for the apostles in their ministry. In their pursuit of the mission, they were able to do that aware that they were personally forgiven. They had a hope that established them forever. They were secured at the right hand of the Father in Christ. And more than that, they were secured as they moved throughout a hostile world that they served the Lord of the universe. The one who was over every human power, over every spiritual force. Do you know, there will be a group who's on the right side of history one day. And it's us. <laughs> it's no one else, it's us. Because of the resurrection. But let me say this, the resurrection says something more. It says that God is the God committed to saving. Romans 4, Paul says in Romans 4 that Jesus was raised for our justification. It's an unusual verse, but he was raised for our justification. And whatever else it means, it means that the resurrection was for our salvation. God did it to save. We live in the age of the resurrection. We live in the age of a physical, tangible expression of the heart of our God to save His world, to break every power, to make it possible for us to be saved, for the world to come and know forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. And to repeat Mikey and Ray's comments this morning, crucial analysis, we don't live in Isaiah's time, the time of preaching to bring heartening. We live in the day of salvation. We live in the age where they will listen. You know, our hope for our time isn't in any cultural movements. It isn't even in the evidences and so on that we see, though they're there and it's encouraging. Our ultimate hope is in the character of God, who is the God who is for saving people, who does not desire the death of anyone, but longs to see all saved. That's our God. Let me bang on with the familiar theme just for a moment. You know, we've been wrestling with the issue of what church is for, which is a very necessary and important thing to consider. But together with that issue is the question of the pastoral ministry. What is the pastoral ministry for? What, what are we for as pastors and elders and leaders? What, what is our role and task? It's crucial to think into that because we want to reflect the Bible, be true to the Word of God. But it's crucial too because the key to reaching the country that we live in is the local church. The key to reaching the country is the local church. God has raised up His people and brought them into partnership with Himself to make disciples of all nations. 
The key to the local church is us, under God, powered by His Spirit. And in this, I'm not just talking about the local church as the gathering, I mean the community of believers that particularly gather, God's people, it's God's people used by God to reach this nation. Under God, empowered by His Spirit, we're the key. Local church, we're the key, under God, to its health, and it's the key to reaching the country. We will not reach Australia, apart from some experience of revival or unique pouring out of the Spirit in some spirit, we won't, apart from that, except that God raises us up to help bring health to His people, to be used by Him, and accept that we embrace our part under God and capture His heart, we will not see it happen in our generation. Now, I'm not diminishing in any sense our responsibility as pastors to pastor the people, to feed them, guide them, protect them and so on and nurture them. What I'm doing is adding to that role, if you like, or clarifying that role. Our main aim as pastors is to lead people to know their God, to feed them the Word, to guard, protect, nurture them in the Word. That's our role as pastors. But you cannot do that as a pastor and not lead them in to know the heart of God who's actually given His Son to save. This must mean that we lead people to love what God loves, to be about what He's about. It is good and pleases God our Saviour. He wants all people to be saved. Now, sure, there are the secret decrees of God where God has elected some and others aren't, but by what right do we make that our vision statement and not the public decrees of God? That His desire is to save all men and women. My point is, if we properly lead people to know their God, we will lead them to be on mission, following the example of Christ. And it's no surprise that every growing ministry has a mission-driven pastor at the lead. My larger point is this, you in this room matter under God to reaching Australia. Wear it, friends, there's no cavalry coming. We can't wait for someone from America to come out and do it for us. Or the UK, does anyone come from the UK? Well, some did, I guess, but <laughs> it's us. No one's going to come in and fix the church up for you. It's you, under God. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Now, God may raise up the great evangelist, the age of rallies may return, a great revival might break out, we pray for it. But at present, He's raised up you. And He's brought you. And in the normal course of Christian history, it's us that have been given the charge to lead God's people. And it is, let me say, more blessed to give than receive. What a blessing to have that responsibility. Now, if all of this is true, it's critical that we get hold of it. Now, 
we're not the first people to have noticed this truth that Christian leadership is so critical to the health of God's people, to the reaching of the country. And uh, many others in our country have been concerned about helping pastors and leaders to work in church as well. Many groups and individuals have been working in this area to help leaders do it well for a long time. A couple of years ago, uh, someone did some research and estimated there are at least a dozen different people, organisations working to help pastors grow the way they do their work and to do it well. Now, I hesitate to name them, but there are different groups of people, sometimes individuals, who, um, who saw the need to help pastors, help leaders, help leadership teams grow in what we do and develop what we do and do it better. Most of them were doing very good work. But it was all very piecemeal. It was often reflective of the particular strengths of each individual and their weaknesses. Now, I'm not going to point the finger, I'll just point it at me. I've, we've been doing what we can do, but it doesn't take long to work out, we don't have all the answers, we've got our weaknesses, we've got our gaps and holes. It doesn't take long to work that, that's not a shock, I hope. Just talk to Kathy, she can tell you. And more, it's hard to get each of those ministries on a sustainable footing, because they're, you know, there's a small thing here, a small thing there, but here's the dream. We want to reach Australia, the key is the local church under God, the key to the local church is the leadership. Imagine if we could get those that are doing good work in the area of training and developing, if we could get them together and create something that could really get into our heads and mess with us and shake us up and stir us and equip us and mobilise us, help us know what to do and how to do it and keep us doing it. Imagine if we could get all of those strengths gathered together to harness something more powerful and fill out weaknesses and very... Imagine if we could pull all that together. If we could do that, then we'd have a way of working out our different strengths and our different weaknesses and give a richness and a colour that wasn't possible otherwise. We'd get this ministry training structure that wasn't just pragmatic but deeply theological, spiritually rich and enlivening. And imagine further getting all of us from our different networks together to stir each other. We might actually get minimum effective dose. Have you heard this language? We use it all the time here. In medicine, you know, if you use a certain substance and you use too little of it, it doesn't matter how long you use it, it doesn't actually make a difference to the disease you're fighting. You've got to get over a minimum effective dose before it begins to work. Same in Christian ministry. We could be doing piecemeal training all over the place and never actually hitting minimum effective dose to change the culture of our leadership. But imagine if we were able to get all of that together add the bits and strengthen and get an effective dose and really put heat into the whole system of our world. And imagine too if we could reduce the number of conferences you had to go to. And that's just got to be a good thing too. Now that's not an easy thing to do, to pull a whole bunch of people together with all kinds of differences and different emphases and angles on things. There's power in it all adding together and aligning but it's not an easy thing. And I heard a really helpful quote the other day from that great theologian and philosopher Twiggy Forrest's wife, Nicola. Uh, she's not, she's just a great lady, it seems. But she said, you know, the rich guy 
mining guy, his wife, they've been doing some philanthropy work in various places and she said this, she said, in talking about the impact they were wanting to make it through their um, giving of money, she said, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far and deep, go together. Wow. Did she make that up? <laughs> that is just so insightful. And that's it. We could each try and keep doing our bits in our different networks. And you'd go much faster. You wouldn't have to fight with anyone. You could just do your thing. But we have a massive task. There's 24 million people to reach. The task is huge. And we don't just want to have superficial crowds. We want to take them deep. We want to win millions of people across the country and take them deep in the faith. We need to do that together. And I want to suggest to you there are three togethers that we need to have. First one is this. We need to bring together our evangelists and our maturity-minded pastors. It is the case in the broader Christian world that you have some leaders who are evangelistically driven and hearted and some who are actually really passionate about deepening people in the faith. Brothers and sisters, we need to get them together because they each bring strengths to the whole work. I love listening to Al, I love listening to Ray because they fire your heart, don't they? There's a richness of their desire to reach the world and they've actually worked at it. But there are pastors amongst us that I'm deeply inspired by to pursue deepening and being serious about going deep with people. We need to have both of those together. We need to have us together in the creative tensions that brings. It's frustrating, it's difficult. We each have different agendas. We have it in our own church. We have a church where there are the passionate evangelists and the passionate pastor-hearted people and, and they see the world differently. But to have them together is a rich and powerful thing. To have us together in this place is rich and powerful. We need both deep and wide. We need evangelists and pastor people together. I'll tell you what though, we need denominations to come together, second together. We need denominations to come together. Denominations are good, I'm actually all for denominations, they have their place, but they aren't usually designed to fire up mission. Now, that's not a criticism, because the fact is denominations actually have to manage those that are moving ahead and those that are struggling and they have to manage those that are struggling in ways that don't destroy them and so they've got a quite a complex thing to hold together in a denominational setting. A place outside the denominational setting where we can gather around the gospel for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of driving each other forward to reach the nation with the gospel, that's far more powerful. To come out of our denominations to do something together and let me get particular and specific. This is dangerous, but let me do this. Sydney Anglicans. You need the rest of the country. Let me count the ways. A denominational structure bound up in one city, Sydney Anglicans, will always have a natural gravity towards being insular. Having a vision that's no big enough, bigger than the city and not big enough. The task is national and world. And being part of that for you in Sydney 
to actually be part of something bigger than Sydney, you need for Sydney. You need for the sake of enlivening your ministries in Sydney and bringing health to them. And within such a strong denomination as Sydney Anglicans, patterns form and cultures create, you need the fresh winds of ministries that are happening outside of Sydney. You need to hang out with people who are actually changing things. <coughs> you, you need to hang out with people who are pioneering and entrepreneurial and risk-taking. Sydney needs that. You need the rest of the country. But let me tell you, those of us who are in the rest of the country, we need Sydney Anglicans. There is this Sydney Australia thing and everyone kind of loves to bag Sydney. Um, it is ungodly and unchristian and we need to stop it. We owe Sydney Diocese a massive debt spiritually and I can say this because I'm not in it. They can't say it and I've never heard them say it particularly but we need to look at it and think about it carefully. Sydney Diocese has been a huge group to stand for the things of Christ. Almost every Bible College, Reformed Evangelical Bible College around the country depends on being seeded from Sydney Diocese. They've been exceedingly generous. We owe them greatly. We, uh, it's a little bit like, it seems to me, the gifts to the saints in Jerusalem. We've received from them spiritually. We need to recognise that. We stand on their shoulders historically in so many ways. Now, I know there's been other historical roots of Christian faith coming to Australia alongside the Presbyterians particularly and so on, but I want to suggest that even in, with that, the, the reclamation, the reclaiming of Presbyterianism owes so much to a history back into Sydney. There is a strength and depth in Sydney, an intellectual capital there, a resilience of so much among its leaders that is powerful and precious. The Archbishop of Sydney, Glenn Davies, has stood up in recent times and, and stood for those who are being battered in our country for the faith. How many other leaders are doing that on that kind of platform? Pray for them, pray for him, praise God. You know, if we were to ever lose more college, God is sovereign, but it would take decades to recover. Nowhere else is quite set up to bring what it brings. Sydney needs the country, we need Sydney. Praise God for them. We need the Presbyterians. There are a lot of evidences of great health amongst Presbyterian churches in recent years. David Cook, if you hadn't picked this up, has reported recently on sermons that are being preached all around Australia in Presbyterian churches that uh, he now... He, having not been the case many decades ago, he now believes you can go to any Presbyterian, largely any Presbyterian church in the country and you'll find faithful, exegetical, gospel-hearted Bible teaching. That is a massive turnaround if you know the Presbyterian church and where it was at some decades ago. Praise God for that. We need that. I want to hear their stories and what's going on. We need their determination and care. Now, you could go through, we need the renewed energy that's coming out of the Reformed churches. There's some great Baptist leaders emerging. It's wonderful, and praise God for that. We need all of that being brought together with the great capstone of FIEC over it all. <laughs> you! 
This whole talk has been about getting to that point. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, we, we need to have evangelists and pastors together, we need to have denominations together, we don't have all the strengths and resources on our own. But we also need to bring church planters and established churches together. We've been running conferences for church planters, Geneva Conference, it's a fantastic conference. But we believe that's not the future. Because church planters need established churches and established churches need church planting. We need to bring us together. You know, there is um, a reality that we've been talking about, ecosystems. There is a massive ecosystem in the country. It's not just in your church. And the ecosystem in the country is operating between new church plants and existing churches. That is actually a powerful thing that works. You know, there is a mood around the place that the days of church planting are over. Among established churches, there's a bit of a feel like, uh, we tried that, we did that, that was so 1990s, didn't work. But did you see the stats? Did you hear the stats this morning? Let me give you it in another shape. The number of churches is declining, Al drew attention to that. But get this, the number of churches is declining at exactly the same time as the population is growing. Add a few figures together and you get this important truth. 20 years ago, there was one church per, per 1,500 people. 20 years later, there's one church per 2,300 people. We have had not just a decline of 1,000 churches, we have had a decline of churches per head of population that's massive, almost catastrophic. To imagine that planting was just a phase and the real action is now in the established churches is nuts, just nuts. We need new churches everywhere. New churches reach new groups, they break new ground, they can move fast, change culture, they shake up existing churches. Existing churches need new churches near them because the reality of that competitive edge forces you to make changes you never were otherwise going to make. We need new churches around us. They force you to face the cultural drift that's happened for you or the cultural death that's occurred and everywhere else has moved on. New churches are deeply important for established... Established churches need to sit and listen to Matt talk about what's happening in Adelaide. I don't know if you're the pastor of an established church you ought to feel, wow, look what they've done, what are we doing? You need to hear that. We need to have all of us together. But new churches need to hear from existing churches to be healthy. Get this, where do new church planters come from? Existing churches. They don't come from America. <laughs> they come from us. To get church planters from existing churches, you need healthy, growing, vibrant churches to actually raise up the next generation of planters. But if they're not growing and healthy, then what, what we're seeing is that church planting is plateaued. And it's plateaued because there are fewer people offering for planting. And there's fewer people offering for planting because established churches are so unhealthy, there's no people coming through the pipeline. We need that whole thing to work. And the way to get the whole thing to work is not to hide off church planting into one stream on its own, but to bring it in with us that we get stirred and stimulated by each other to see the whole thing begin to grow again. 
We need to do the both end. We need to grow churches and we need to plant new churches and we need to keep doing both. It's not a phase that we've gone through. So we call it Reach Australia. It's an attempt to bring our best thinkers and practitioners together, the guys who are doing it, to stir each of us, to stir. I want to hear from you. I need to be stirred. You need to be, we need to be together for that to happen. We need to see the larger picture. You played with the puppy today and I hope you realise it's actually very good. But this is going to be more than a conference. Reach Australia, the conference piece is important. It expresses in the flesh and bones the terms of our fellowship. It sets a real context for us to speak together, to actually come and eyeball each other and bounce off each other in the flesh. And it gives us a platform to hear from Australian church leaders working hard in the Australian context. That's what we need to hear. We have got some fantastic people working very hard, doing extraordinary things. We need to hear them. It gives us a place to cast vision and stir each other for the work and wrestle with deep theological issues together to keep that vibrant and healthy amongst us. Each year we'll tackle a theological issue and a ministry pragmatic related to that. This year it's been mission, of course. Next year we've actually... We're, we're, what we've realised is that mission's a problem, but so too, we've got a maturity problem too amongst our churches. We need to work out how to grow in depth and breadth that both together need to happen. The conference piece is the centre, but there is more... Let me show you a little bit more of what... Look, there's the dog again. <laughs> what we've got is, uh, we, we want the conference to inspire and give some content, but we've got a bunch of other things that we want to run with uh, as part of Reach Australia. Consulting, coaching, cohorts and content. Now, the way these things will work, we're, we're seeing the conference as one piece in a whole development program. You don't need to be part of the rest, but we want to actually put it in there as an important piece. And we need to do more than just a conference because there's something about us, and I'm going to apologise in advance for saying what I'm about to say. We, us, you pastors are wonderful in so many ways. You're an extraordinary group of people, but, and I apologise, we suck at implementation. We are very good at analysing, dreaming, scheming, sharing vision, explaining ideas. We're very good at these things. But when it comes to actually doing anything, we suck. And so what happens regularly, is anyone shocked by me saying that? <laughs> but what happens is, you get pumped at a conference, but when you go back to your church, some, something happens, I don't know, someone dies, you get distracted by a funeral, which is a good thing to be distracted by, you have a fight with your wife, and you've now lost whatever happened at Reach Australia, is gone. We lose all of that possibility, we want to break that. And the way to break that is to pay attention to actually... Uh, getting into our churches and getting some people to come in and look and help us see what's happening, get some coaching happen, get together with other leaders in small groups for a period of time to work through all the issues and use all of those pieces together to actually help us land things in practical terms. Now, as I say, Reach Australia, we want it to be a, a big thing of a conference piece where anyone can come and catch the vision and be part of being stirred. But we want to... For, people then to see a way into actually going further and landing all these different things so that you can go back to your church and with the support and helps of each other actually get something to happen, make changes. There's more information about this on the website of course and uh, we'd encourage you to go there, the Leadership Development Program. Now some of you though, 
may be thinking to yourselves, you don't need all of that. Great, but the country needs you. The country needs you. You need to give back. You need to be part of helping the rest of us because if we're going to reach Australia, it's no good just to reach your suburb. Be part of this larger thing for the sake of your suburb and for the sake of the cause of Christ. Now, there's the big picture. There's what Reach Australia wants to be together. We want to grow this thing. We want to grow the ability to actually land what we're doing in real terms in church life. We want to scale up so that we have more and more people who can coach helpfully each other. We want to be in networks together to land it as a cohort. We want to have consultancy where that helps. All of this is part of something that we believe under God would make a difference. But let me now land with a particular, which is the vision. Well, is it vision? Who can remember what vision mission is? But let me give you this. We operate always with a 10% vision. That's always captured us. Uh, It is a modest goal, 10%. is a very modest goal, but it's a long way ahead of where we are. You know, if we were to reach on the Central Coast, 10% of the Central Coast, we would need five EVs. Or lots and lots of other churches. Let me offer a starting vision for us. Can we think in terms of, over the next 10 years, doubling? If Reformed Evangelicalism doubled over the next 10 years, that would be a great start. To double, 7% a year growth. Now, some of you are thinking, I'd love to have 7% growth. Some will get more. Our church plants see greater growth. Some will get less. In the midst of that, let's commit to planting another 150 churches over the next 10 years. Each of us commit to seeking to grow under God, seeing what could happen. And in 10 years' time, it is very possible, under God, by His grace, through the power of His Spirit, that we could see things doubled. We serve the resurrected Lord, the one who is the Lord of heaven and earth, who wants to seek and save the lost. Now, I'm going to finish, but it's not with a big finish. Let's just do something together. Let's just do something together and see what the Lord might do amongst us. How about I pray? Heavenly Father, we do ask, please, that you might do something wonderful. Please, we come to you knowing that you are the God who longs to see your world saved. And uh, we pray, please, that you might work in us and through us and do something wonderful and bring a great revival, a great turning to yourself in our country. And please, we pray, use us to that end. Please... um, Make us what we need to be, shape and change us, bring us to our knees, repentance, cause us to put our faith back in you again. But Lord, we ask please that you might use us, that you might save many in our country. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.